Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. At the end of the day, I'm still an audience member when I see everyone else. So when I see someone else perform, they always just seem to have it so together. You know, there's people I look at where, oh my God, they have it so together and they're, and they're, and they're, they're just so on top of it. They're so brilliant and they just have all the answers. And I look at it from that, you know, I look at it from an audience perspective and, and I know that myself, you know, even if people look at that the same way of like, wow, he's, he's got all the answers to this thing. Like deep down, I know that like, I am just like, oh boy, like I, I, I just hope I'm hoping to make it through each, each show. Even on my most prepared shows, I'm like, there, there's a lot of stuff that can go off the rails here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having a great, great day. Exciting episode today, part two with Adam Trent. This guy is a unique talent and an extraordinary entrepreneur. Very, very, very inspiring. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter. Or you can reach me on Facebook or any place on social media. Just leave me a message and I will be glad to get back to you as soon as I can. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It's free and it helps the show when you guys have been so supportive. So thank you so much. And for you first timers, welcome, enjoy, have fun. I know you're going to like this a lot. When I think of Adam Trent, I think of a young man who had an incredible vision as a young, young child that he wanted to do magic. And a lot of us have that in us, and some of us are still figuring out what we want to do. But the thing about Adam that really struck me and that really meant a lot to me is that there's a lot of people who do have the vision when they're younger of what they want to do, but they just can't seem to execute the plan. And through trial and error, Adam did amazing things in his hometown, creating shows, renting spaces, going to different groups to open up for him so he'd provide an audience for himself. And within a few short weeks and months, he was making money as a teenager. And that really, really 
excited me talking to him of how he put the plan together, how we went to dance studios to have them go on before him because there were no America's Got Talents back then. And so these people just wanted a place to perform. And he knew in his mind as a young teenager that each one of these people was going to invite their family and friends to see them. And he could get a crowd. And he did. And he started getting a name for himself, even though all his friends told him that he couldn't do it. You're not going to do that. You can't do that. You can't do this. But instead of listening to them, he just went forward and did it. And then as a young artist, going up in his late teens and early 20s, he figured out a way to put together shows and take them on the road, renting his own equipment, making his own tricks, sometimes hiring people as best he could to make illusions that he thought would blow people away and get his credibility higher and get his brand bigger and get his audiences stronger. And that's exactly what he did. And then moving forward and doing the magic over and over again and practicing relentlessly, rinse, lather, repeat over and over and over again until the tricks were airtight. And eventually he got noticed by one of the greatest producers in the world who cast him in a debut of The Illusionists. And from that point forward, it's all been uphill. But the thing that really, really impressed me is that he puts everything into his act and his magic. He put everything into it. He spent everything he had to create tricks, many times living check to check. And when he had an idea for a television show, he put $500 towards it, 450 to be exact. And he worked hard, he figured it out, he edited it, he put the graphics on, and he sold the show to Red Bull and now Netflix as a creator, executive producer, and star. Pretty, pretty cool, pretty amazing. And I think to myself, if you listening out there can figure out a way to notice and understand what your passion is and to execute a plan early on of how to start getting an audience, getting money, getting a following, getting noticed and practicing your craft and rehearsing and studying your craft, whatever it is over and over and over again, you always put yourself in a better position to get noticed. And if you can figure out a way to do that, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Adam Trent has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. You may not want to talk about this, but the business side of things, because I think it's really fascinating. Obviously, you streamline the show because 
the theater is paying you a certain amount of money mm-hmm. for the show. What I should share with the audience, there's different kinds of shows for different kinds of performers. And what Adam does a lot of are these performing arts theaters that have subscriptions to a whole range of an annual program from all different things. So you could have a symphony in there on Tuesday. You could have Kenny G on there on Thursday. It's always different. And these people pay money for the year a lot of times to have the advantage of getting certain tickets. And many times these shows are completely sold out or are often very well sold because it's this thing where it's a built-in audience in that town that are grateful Mm -hmm. for the entertainment that's booked and little do they know, but they finance the whole entertainment in town. And so Adam will be offered an amount of money for that show. A lot of times in these performing heart theaters, they don't do situations where they say hey we're paying your first class travel and we're getting your hotel and your ground transportation a lot of these places try to keep it very simple and if you don't go along with it they don't book you in other words they give you an amount of money here's your money figure it out show up and give us a show they save the aggravation of doing anything for an artist and so Adam would get, let's say, an amount of money, and he's got to figure out, okay, I'm going to get there, what am I going to bring, and what do I need, and what's the cost going to be, and the lower the cost is, the more money he makes. Right. And so you can understand if you're doing 50 performing arts gigs across the country, and you can save $5,000 a gig, you're saving $250,000 that's going in your pocket from the guy who goes in with his trucks right. and everything else. And that's what he's saying about the first class ticket. So if he goes in on a first class ticket, well, then he's like, when I look at it, I've saved $247,000 this year doing it this way. I think I can treat myself to a thousand right. dollars yeah yeah and, and, and booking the, the shows on subscription is, is a dream of i mean it's very hard to get the subscription dates um because every show wants to be on subscription right i mean who doesn't want to show up and have a thousand of the 1500 tickets already sold for you you know but it's very very hard to get on those i mean I, I, if, if i get one or two theaters a year that put on subscription that's great but most of it is hard ticket sales and yeah it is it is you know like you know uh it's 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 you're you're figuring it all out on your own. You know you, you want to show up and do and do a great show. Um, at the same time, you got to make sure that you uh, are running it like a business to where, like you said, you, you you do come home at the end of the year and and uh, and that's what it comes to. Even even bring an extra suitcase at this point. You know I, I look at certain tricks and I'm like that that's a great thing. I'd love to bring that, but that requires an extra suitcase, which is you know now I got to bring two guys with me. And that cost me an extra 2000 bucks a gig and across 50 or 70 gigs, you know, it's 140 grand for that trick. How much do I love that trick now? Like if it costs me an extra 140 grand a year to bring that trick around, I like that trick a lot less. <laughs> I want to go way, 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 way back. I yeah. want to go back to where you grew up, what the socioeconomic dynamic was of the family. Mm-hmm. And what was your first inspiration to get in this crazy business? So I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Um, 
very, very loving, very supporting family. Uh, my dad, uh, extremely entrepreneurial. I learned a lot from my dad. Um, very similar to you in the, in the sense where he would never just kind of give you the answers. He'd always kind of like, he, he, it was very teach a man to fish, you know, uh, uh, as opposed to just giving him the fish type thing, you know. So my dad was, you know, very entrepreneurial. You know, I remember, uh, well, I don't remember actually, but when I was a young kid, he, he would, you know, uh, my, my mom tells a story about how uh, as soon as we got home from school, she'd put us in our pajamas right away at, at, at 2 p.m. And, and she put us to bed uh, at 2 p.m. so that we could wake up at, at 10 o'clock or whatever when my dad got home from work. He'd, he'd, he'd work until he'd, he was just a workaholic. And he'd get home from 10 o'clock at night or, or sometime in the middle of the night in his suit. And then she'd wake us up at midnight and we'd go play with my dad for a little bit because it was the only time he could ever see us because he worked so hard and then he was starting, he was trying to start, start a software company out of the garage that he did. And, um, you know, that didn't really, uh, 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 let's just say he's not still doing that anymore, <laughs> but you know, he, he was always doing, he was always trying these new, these things, you know, and he was ext extremely hardworking, extremely entrepreneurial. And my interest in entertainment came from seeing David Copperfield. I saw David Copperfield as a young kid and just thought it was the absolute coolest thing. Uh, I used to watch the Michael Jackson videos. Um, Wait, you saw him where? Live? I saw David Copperfield live. Yeah, my dad brought me to see his show. Why did he decide? I don't know. I think my dad thought he was pretty cool also. And, and, and um, he just brought me to see his show. I, I had no idea what I was even walking into. And I saw David Copperfield perform and I was like, that was awesome. I, I don't remember him doing magic. I just remember him, him uh, being funny and awesome. I remember him having these little lines where he'd look at the audience and say some sort of joke and do some little smirk and everyone laughed. And I thought it was so cool that he would do this. And then the... You know, so there was that, and Did then he come to Boulder. Uh, he came to Denver, I think, and and Denver's about an hour from from Boulder. So we went down and saw him. Um, so there was that, and I remember I just wanted to. I got a, I had a magic book. How old were you? I was probably seven or eight years old. Uh, I was very young, and then I had a magic book just laying around the house that um, that I gotten as a gift, and I just kind of started reading card tricks from it. I, I showed my mom a card trick when I was like eight years old, and and it fooled her. At that time in in my life, it was like adults knew everything, and and kids knew nothing, and all it, it, the whole world flipped at that moment. My mom was like, "Whoa, how'd you do that?" And I was like, "Wait." but you're supposed to know everything in the world. You're my mom. And she was like, well, I don't know how that worked. Like whatever that, I don't know what that was. And I was like this, oh my God, like I can, I know something my parents don't, you know, it was this superpower. It was this, it was like, you know, 007. I had the secrets to everything, you know? And it was like, I, I knew stuff that no one else knew. So there was that. And then I just started doing kids' birthday parties. I remember very early on, I told my, my, my dad that I was, I was going to be a professional magician like David Copperfield. And How old? Probably, probably eight or nine years old. Right away. So but you knew what you were going to do when you were eight or nine. I did. But this is at the same age where, you know, the week earlier, I told him I was going to be an astronaut. And the week before that, I told him <laughs> I was going to be, you know, a rock star. And the week before that, I told him I'd be a race car driver. So, you know, I think it was like, yeah, 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 sure. But, you know, um, I started doing kids' birthday. I started performing at kids' birthday parties. Well, so what going back to my dad being very entrepreneurial, um, uh, he was like, why don't you put your name in the phone book for birthday parties? And I was like, well, how do you do that? He's like, I figured it out. I mean, there's, here's the phone book. Like there's gotta be a number in there somewhere that you can call. So I called him up and it turned out the time. This is when it's probably 1995 or so it was $30 a year to put your name in the phone book. So a little business list, literally one line under magicians in the yellow pages that said, Adam Trent magician. And, and there was no picture. There was no nothing. It was literally one line is Adam Trent magic with your phone number. But by just doing that alone, I, I, the phone rang maybe once a, every two weeks. And so I started doing these little, and then what you know, did you charge? Oh, 50 bucks. 
or so for a birthday party. bucks for how long? Oh, God, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Tell our audience your first professional gig. It was literally happened. a handful of gimmick decks. I had a Svengali deck of cards. Like whatever tr- trick decks cards you buy from the Magic Tour for $10, I had five of those things. <laughs> so when you say trick decks, you can go to a Magic Store and buy a deck that does a trick. Buy a deck that does a trick for you. And, you know, for the most part, you can get a very bad version of it going within about five minutes where you're like, oh, okay, if I riffle the cards this way, it looks this way. And if I riffle it that way, they all turn blank. Okay, well, that's one trick. Now, again, I'm sorry to bore you, but I think our audience should know what the word riffle means. Sorry. Like, 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 basically, if you spread the cards out one way or if you spread the cards out another way, you know, it was decks of cards that would do things like that for you where, where you didn't have to have great sleight of hand. You could kind of you know, like, 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 like Bob, the uncle could buy this deck of cards and go perform it at the family reunion that night was, was the level of things, you know? So I do those and I was charging 50 bucks and I, I got really popular in Boulder cause I was, I was the young magician that was the same age as the kids I was doing the birthday parties for. So, you know, I, I got to the point where I was doing three or four birthday parties a day, uh, on, on weekends, on Saturday and three Sunday. Three or four a day. Yeah. And so how was, old are you? Oh, 10 or 11, maybe it's a year or two later. You're 11 years old. So I was making a few hundred bucks a day. And you're making $200 a day. Yeah. How old are the people at the birthday party? Same age as me. 9, 10, 11, same age. Ter- terribly awkward. Terribly awkward. And my mom would drive me around to these things. You know, one of extremely supportive parents that were just very encouraging. And I was so like, instead of driving you to baseball, they're driving you to magic right. shows and birthday parties. And then I went to a boy band concert. I went to see NSYNC <laughs> at Mile High Stadium in, in Denver when I was like, I don't know, 13 or something. And this is when everything changed uh, for me was I went and, and I think my sisters had tickets to the concert and one of their friends couldn't go. And, and, and my mom was like, you know, like you want to go to the concert? And at the time I was too cool for school. I was like, no, uh, uh, the boy bands are uh, stupid. And she's like, well, we have an extra kit. You're going. And I went to Mile High Stadium and I remember walking into the stadium and there's something about being in a stadium that already you, you feel it feels larger than life when, when you walk into a stadium full of people for any event. And I remember when, when, the sh- when the concert started, these guys came out and started dancing around. And I remember the concrete shaking on the floor. And I remember people going nuts. And I remember leaving. And I remember seeing the merchandise booths. There were hundreds of people for hours after the concert, like leaning over people with $100 bills trying to buy four T-shirts at a time. And, and I was like, this is insanity. Like, what is this? And I came home and I asked my dad. I was like, why were people, like, why were people going so nuts at this concert? And my dad, you know, always puts things so, so simplistic. He's like, oh, yeah, those guys wear costumes and dance around and girls like all that stuff. That's <laughs> how my dad described the boy band phenomenon. <laughs> and I was like, well, whatever that was, like, that was pretty great. So I didn't want to do birthday parties anymore. I wanted to do shows in a the theater where people would scream and stuff. So I did the talent show that year and I used, you know, the sync song. The talent show at, your- at my school, at my middle school. When I was, you know, in seventh grade or whatever, whatever I was. How much 12, time did they give you to perform? Six, five, one song, two, two songs, five minutes, whatever it was. Okay. And I came out and I danced around to sync and did, uh, did some card tricks while I danced to sync. And I remember everyone started screaming, you know, not because of what I was doing, but just because you were playing the sync song at the time. You know, you it, know, it, how did you know how to dance? Um, because I'd watched Michael Jackson videos and I was in dance classes. Just, I, I don't know. I, I wanted to be a break dancer because I thought it'd be... I was always looking for things that would like make me cool at the school dances. So being a break dancer, I thought at the time, like if I could do, you know, a backflip at the school dance, like that would be the coolest thing. So I was in break dancing classes and then I was also in magic. So, and then I saw the boy band concert. So I played the NSYNC song and I went out and I 
did break dancing and did card tricks and, and and at the time it was a big hit at the middle school you know um so then i started doing middle school shows around colorado i would just call up middle schools and i'd say hey can i come do a magic show for assembly can you know and this is where this was the turning point in my life where you know you talk about why magicians do tricks that are not theirs and what the other people do for me in the beginning it was a necessity of i needed material because i remember i called the middle school and they're like yeah we can do it how long is your show and i was like six minutes long and they're like okay well if we pull the kids out of class for you know if we pull the kids out of class you got to do 50 55 minutes you know our periods are 55 minutes long so you got to do a 55 minute show and i was like great let's do it and i had like two weeks put together 50 50 minutes of material in two weeks you know from nothing so it was like oh my god okay well I can buy this rope trick I can buy this uh this shoestring trick I can buy this you know cloth trick I can buy this card trick I can buy this confetti trick you know and, and it was like that and I, I put together 50 minutes of material in two weeks none of it the all of it purchased material and but you know technically I had a 50 minute show that next week for the for the middle school show and and same thing I went down there to middle school I danced around to the boy band music and everyone screamed and loved it and and it was like okay and so then it, you know then it was like okay well, let's try to make this material better and not just do this stupid rope trick and not do this stupid thing here I'm doing and you know still to this day there's 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 a lot of stuff I do in my show that is is you know material that, that other magicians can and do and do do um, so I'm still in a process of refining that out and trying to do things that are more my own, but it, it's an, it's a, it's a lifetime process, you know, as you see with David Copperfield, you know, it's, 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 there's still something in there, but, um, I'm trying to do more of effort, but anyway, so, so I was doing these middle school shows and, and that was the time where, uh, I was now in high school and I would every Friday or so I'd go out and do a middle school assembly for some show in town. And I started getting all this video footage of me doing this. And then, um, there were things where I was like, okay, well I should do this for profit. And you could rent out the middle school theaters in Colorado at the time for 20, it was like 20 bucks an hour. And uh, my dad was like, why don't you just rent out a, a theater and sell tickets and you'll learn how to market a show also. So I rented it out and then I went and printed out flyers and hung them out, hung, hung them up my hometown in Colorado and did a show and no so one- This is the first show that you ever first promoted? First show I ever did, yeah. I was and, probably, and how big was the theater? 200 seats, it was like my, my middle school theater. Got it, and how many people showed up? 12. 11 of which were family and friends. <laughs> the 12th was the janitor, I think, who was paid to be there. And how did you feel? <laughs> Terrible. It was awful. Um, and so I was like, boy, I need to get better at marketing this. So I, then I was like, you know, I rented it out again a month later. So you went right back a right month back into later. It. Oh, yeah. Well, for the, I, I already had these things booked. Like, it was like one a month that I booked out the whole year. I rented this like theater once a month for the whole year, um, for, if I remember this correctly. And I was like, I need, to I need to get better at marketing. So I printed out more flyers, bigger. They were color this time. And you know, this time I, I really spent the whole weekend walking around asking restaurants to hang them up in the, in the windows. And then I was like, hey, I gotta get the newspaper to come here. So I, um, I, I kept trying to send in press releases to the newspaper. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the newspaper just wouldn't touch it, you know, like, nah, we're not touching this. And finally, I placed an ad on Craigslist for a magician's assistant to help with the show. And one of the gals was like, hey, I'm a part-time writer at the paper. And I was like, booked, say no more, <laughs> like, like booked, like, and she's like, I don't have any dancing, booked, you know, I've never actually been on stage, booked, <laughs> booked, booked, you know, and I booked the gal who was the, uh, like a, a freelance writer at the paper and she was my magic assistant. And, and as part of it, she did a newspaper article for my show. For the second show. Yeah. I think it was the second show. A preview for it. Something like that. How like, many people show up it for was that a little show? Pro, it wasn't even a, a pro, profile for, a preview for my show. It was literally a... 
you know, interesting jobs that I'm like, it was like, she wrote like a column on food or what, you know, it was like, you know, and she's like this week, Amy is a magician's assistant. I'm working for this guy. Adam Treadwell. There's a show coming up. Sold out. Sold out. So I, I, I showed, I, I How showed up. How much were you charging There was a line around the $5. There was a line around the block for, 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 but it was, you know, 200 seats or whatever. I made a thousand bucks, which at the time I was like, I have a thousand dollars cash in hand right now. The theater cost me. It all me, goes full circle. Like the, the first th- class ticket, a thousand dollars. At this at this point, you know, like the theater cost me sixty bucks. The, my assistant cost me sixty bucks. My friends were helping me out for free. Like I, your mom I, and dad I, were baking the yeah, stuff yeah. that you sold outside. Yeah, I, I made eight hundred bucks in this thing. So I was like, okay, I I got to get in the paper. So then I learned how to write press releases. I learned how to you know kind of come up with little niches. And you're twelve or thirteen. I'm like fifteen at this point. Got sixteen. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm like sixteen. Now you got ten more shows at this theater. Ten more shows. At this theater so it's like how do I keep the press going so okay well then I was it was you know figuring out little local hooks it was like you know am I doing something with a local business like you know so I I just I got such a crash course in guerrilla marketing of just renting out a theater and doing my own show and from that uh you know then oh so another another trick I learned was if I went to a local dance studio and I was like hey you know you guys want to open the show you know like you get a dance studio with 20 dancers and they're dying for a place to perform because they only do a dance recital once a year um, you know, and so I'm like, Hey, you want to come open my magic show? You'll do, you have the first five minutes to do a dance. And they're like, yeah, totally. Well, now I have 20 dancers coming to the show and they're all going to bring their, their five friends and family. So now I have a hundred tickets sold there, you know? So it was like my opening act would sell <laughs> most of my tickets, which was a dance recital, a dance class with 20, 20 people. So your third show, how many people show up? Well, so now I had different dance studios opening every show, <laughs> you know, that, you know, and so I, I, there was always a different, a different hook I, I would figure out to, 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 to get people into the show. So I started selling out these shows, you know, I mean, they, they, they were selling out all the time um, because, you you know, I just, this is before social media, this is before any of that stuff. Oh, so you're making 800 a month. Making 800 a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I'm rich, you At know, 15, yeah. uh, I'm 15 years old. And, um, and then, but then from those shows with the dance studios, I had footage of me doing these shows with all these dancers. And that was what ended up selling my show to a cruise line after college. So fast forward, I, I went to college here in Los Angeles, studied finance. Uh, my dad was like, you know, look, get a, get a regular degree and, and know, learn about business as much as you can. And, um, and after college, I street performed for about a year. I had no work, nothing, you know, I, I it, Venice beach, uh, Santa Monica Pier, Yeah. Um, so how much do you make street performing? Well, in the beginning, nothing. Uh, then my friend and I, uh, his name's David Bladder, uh, magician as well. Um, he and I would go out together and we got really good at selling decks of cards at the time. So we could make, oh boy, I don't remember. We, 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 we make a few hundred bucks a day, maybe. What do you mean selling decks of cards? Like, like we'd basically do a trick and we'd be like, who wants to buy this trick? Five bucks a deck of card. And we, and we'd sell the, we'd sell these Fungali decks on the, on the pier, just cash. And, you know, um, I think we got shut down doing it eventually because we didn't have a business license <laughs> to do that. But, but at the time, you know, but basically I street performed for a year and that was like the biggest crash course ever. Cause I went from doing these theater shows where I had my friends and people helping me to now I'm doing street performing and I'm, you know, standing on a, on a folding chair in Santa Monica and it's a, it's a disaster and, and we're dealing with, you know, hecklers and all sorts of stuff and building a crowd. And that was kind of where I introduced the comedy in, into the show is, was learning to talk to people. Um, but I, I was totally broke 
uh, after college. And the options were either I go back to Colorado and try to do these theater shows again, renting out, renting out, you know, these things. And my parents were like, well, look at him. Like, you know, like if you're going to do this as a career, like, you know, like when you were doing those shows, like, you know, like, like, like we were there helping you for free and your friends were helping you for free. Like, you know, you have to pay all these people and, and 800 bucks isn't enough to even do it. Like, you know, like you can't be calling in favors for every show. Like, you know, like you gotta pay people, you know? And so it was like, well, I need a guaranteed thing here. And so I just sent DVDs into a cruise line and, uh, and got a phone call from a cruise line that they were willing to book me. And they, and it looked like I, like I had a big production show because I had these dance recitals, you know, at my show. So I was doing a magic trick and there was 15 dancers like dancing around me as I'm doing a magic trick. So it looked and felt big. And, you know, so it's funny how, how these little things that I was doing, these little things you do earlier in life that you don't foresee helping you, you know, like doing those high school shows and those middle school shows with dance recitals coming and helping me was what got me on a cruise line. So your first cruise ship performance, what happened? First cruise ship performance, uh, I show up and this is the first time I'm getting paid real money. You know, I, I'll call it real money to, to, to do a cruise line. You know, but the time, your first time on a cruise ship, you might've made $2,000 yeah, for the week. 2000 bucks for the week. Yeah. And they normally on the cruise ships, they have a schedule where maybe you do, sometimes you do one show for one half of the cruise line and one show for the others. Sometimes you do that and then you do a late night show that could be a little more risque. Mm -hmm. So the most you do is three shows yeah. a week. So once again, I was short on material because uh, uh, none of the stuff I was doing at these middle schools and stuff would ever work on, you know, it was like me dancing around a boy band music. So <laughs> I wasn't going to cut it in this, in this, you know, like, like the audience is 70 year old people and families and stuff. And I'm like, this isn't going to work anymore. So I show up on the cruise ship and that was like my, and it was my audition week where the guy was going to fly out and see it. And, uh, like, like the, the booker was going to fly out from Miami and see the cruise. And, uh, you know, it was, I had one, one week to make or break. Either I go back to Santa Monica pier, which meant probably going and being an accountant and using my business degree, or it meant, uh, uh, the show goes well and I get booked for, you know, 30 weeks a year on a cruise ship, making a few grand a week. Um, and I'm 21 years, 22 years old at the time. And, um, I go on and I do this, uh, I do this show and it somehow went good enough to get a standing ovation. Um, and, uh, and so I got booked for four months, you know, I, I, by the hair of my chinny chin chin, the guy, the guy booked me for four months and then that four month contract turned into another four, con four month contract. And I started doing, you know, probably like 40 weeks a year on a cruise ship. And I did that for probably until I was from 22 to 25 years old, maybe right around the time I met you. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one of a kind all access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best, in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, 
you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount, a $100 discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600. And you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. So now you start booking these weeks and you're doing 35 weeks a year. Mm -hmm. So I've got enough to live on now. Technically, you made it. You have money in your account, even though your dad says, hey, pal, save 30000 for taxes. Or <laughs> uh, right. Uh, but at least I'm afloat and I'm rich compared to what I what, compared to making 200 bucks a day on Santa Monica Pier. Got it. How do the colleges come about? So then, you know, um, I'm on cruise ships and I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm just getting sick of being on cruise ships. I'm, I'm out there for 30 weeks a year, 40 weeks a year. And I'm just like, I'm isolated. I, you know, I, they won't let me hang out with the other young people on board. I'm like, but look at all the beautiful women that come on each week that you can <laughs> date and then they leave. And then there's the next group. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, you know, I, I was, I was, I was seeing a girl at the time and, 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 and we were apart from each other and I was just very lonely on, on these cruise ships. I wasn't happy. Um, so I was like, yeah, I want to go do these college shows at the time. This is like the beginning of, this is the, the beginning of like social media becoming a thing for entertainers where we're like, you know, you can see, you know, building a following became a thing. So I was like, I'm going to go in the college market. Cause that's where, you know, everyone's on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. So I just wanted to start doing some college shows and, and, and a college agent had called me out of nowhere. Actually, they just called me and said, Hey, you know, are you interested in coming to some college shows? You'd have to work out of a briefcase though. You know, because you got to be really lean. It's, it's rental cars and, and it's setting up in a cafeteria and doing a show. You got to do an hour of material in a cafeteria under cafeteria lighting with 
kids surrounding you, middle of lunch, and the next night you'll be doing it for 2,000 people in the middle of a basketball arena, and the next night you'll be in a black box theater, and the next night you'll be in a classroom, and you know, you gotta be bulletproof, basically. And I'm, I'm on this cruise ship where, you know, kind of similar thing uh, I had on the cruise ship. You have a lighting guy, you have a sound guy, you got the whole, you have production manager, stage manager, and I'm doing this big show with these, you know, big illusion props. And it was like, you know, I'm going to go try this. I'm going to go try to do this briefcase show. And I went and did. Uh, and so I just added, you know, for like my last month on a cruise ship, I, I took all the stuff that required tech support out of my show and started doing a briefcase show and uh, went and did college shows for a few years. And that was right around the time I started working with you. Um, uh, and then I started just doing small theater shows. I got, I got a theater agent and I pr- probably started doing like four theater shows a year. Um, uh, you know, for very little money, but I was going to the, the, the conferences and then, um, this show, the illusionist came about and, um, and I heard about it and I reached out to them and invited them to come see me perform at the magic castle. Uh, and they came and saw me perform at the magic castle here in LA. So you got these guys who have a big dream, mm-hmm. Simon Painter and yeah. his team, a big dream about putting on a compilation performer magic show uh, all over the world and they want to start and they want to open up at the Sydney Opera House and that's their dream for those of you don't know the story a Simon Painter and that you talk about promotion an amazing guy who (laughs) essentially was a fiddler and a lord of the dance show and saw how they promoted it and said I want to do this myself and put together from a poster. He had an idea for a poster with seven magicians going in like a V, sort of like ducks flying a line <laughs> with one up front, three behind on either side. And he showed this poster to the Sydney Opera House and they bought the show before he even had a show. Yep. And so now we had to find seven <laughs> extraordinary, unique magicians to build a show around. And so you know this is happening. They're coming to see you, but you're at the Magic Castle. And at the Magic Castle, it's not really what it appears to be. It's one of the most extraordinary places in the world. I would always recommend anybody to go, even though it's a private club and you have to find somebody to get you in. But they use a lot of magicians who are friends of the owners, and the owners are in their 80s and 90s. So there's a lot of rope tricks. There's a lot of tricks that have been done from the beginning of time by older magicians in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Magicians like Adam, I don't even think I've seen a magician there that's as young as you. Maybe Jason Latimer one time, who's also an extraordinary magician. So... You're going there, you're working amongst the Aldecacas, yet you have to impress these people. And the most time you're ever given at the Magic Castle, doesn't matter who you are, unless there's something extraordinary, is 20 minutes. Hmm. So what do you do in 20 minutes that's going to blow Simon Painter away? I just kind of, uh, I did stuff from my college show. I did little knick-knack things out of a briefcase. It was all out of a briefcase for... And it was just enough. I, I think he saw, like, you know, that I was that 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 he saw personality and he saw, you know, crowd control and whatnot. I think that was what 
you know, kind of did it. And, 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 and at the time, like, you know, like I didn't know what the illusionist was. The illusionist wasn't a thing yet, you know? So I was even skeptical about like, should I even cancel weeks on a cruise ship to do the illusionist? Like, you know, I've got some weeks over the holidays booked on the cruise ship and I saw a lot of merch on the cruise ships over the holidays. You know, I don't know if I even want to do this thing. And, and I was like, well, you know, it's, it's in Australia. Let, 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 let's give this thing a, a try. And we went down and then the show ended up becoming a huge hit in Australia. It sold, it sold out the Sydney opera house and broke box office records. And, you know, Simon is, uh, one of the most brilliant people in the world, I think, uh, with this stuff. And, and, um, he had a true hit on his hands. And from there, you know, uh, we started doing some international dates. It was like, we did a, a thing in Dubai and New Zealand and Mexico and everywhere it's going, it's selling out. And it's just, it's, it's like, I compare it to like what it must've been like to be part of the Backstreet Boys where you kind of got in this thing, you didn't know what it was. And then all of a sudden it just lights on fire and every theater you're going to is, oh my God, you know, we're selling so many tickets, we're adding shows. It's, it's so amazing. And then about a year after that, you know, the talk of doing Broadway started happening where it was like, you know, we were having so much success overseas that they were like, why don't we do a, an illusionist on Broadway? And, um, I was, you know, uh, uh, I guess lucky enough to, to, to be part of the group that they chose to do that first Broadway, um, thing in the U S and that was really, um, you know, one of the first times that I started getting real, you know, major TV, uh, stuff. Cause I'd done TV stuff before when I first met you, you know, as I mentioned, I did a little thing on the travel channel that ran for a couple episodes. I did some stuff on the Disney channel and, uh, hosted a couple things here and there, but, but when, but when the illusions launched on Broadway, it was good morning America. It was the today show. It was, you know, it was giant things like that, that, um, you know, we started going on and I got to go do a lot of those press things because I was just always trying to, (laughs) trying to pitch ways to get on, on these shows. And, um, so within a year I got a Broadway credit and I got all these national TV things and, um, it did that for a couple of years, toured with the illusionist, did the U S tour. And after a couple of years of doing that, I was able to kind of step out of that using the heat that I gotten from that and go back to doing my solo show once again at that, at the theaters, like I was doing before, but this time I had a bit more credibility. It'd been a few years. I had some TV clips under my belt and, you know, uh, was able to start doing a lot more theaters and bigger theaters. And, um, then shortly after that was when we pitched the road trick and sold that to Red Bull and then later Netflix. Amazing. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Tell me what comes to mind. Could be anything. Could be a word, a sentence, a little story, anything. Andy Cohen from Watch What Happens Live. Um, uh, taking initiative. Um, I did, I did, I went on that show and I remember I told you before I was going on, uh, that, that I had six seconds to do a trick and I wanted a longer clip than that. <laughs> I think it was you that was like when he, th- cause I was going to be behind the bar and he's gonna go, Hey, you got a quick trick. And I was supposed to do a quick little thing. And I had one trick that was like two minutes long. And you're like, when he throws to you, you forget the clock and you go. <laughs> so I'm probably making, I'm probably, par- I'm putting yeah, words in your mouth, what, what, what something you, along those lines. What I said to you is, what are they going to do? Turn off the cameras? <laughs> right. He's going to shut them off? If it's great, he's going to keep going. And I remember I was on there with the illusionist and, he, you know, he kept throwing to the bar and, and one of the illusionists would do a quick, a quick trick, quick trick, quick trick. And then it was like my turn. He's like, all right, what do you guys got this time? And I just like walked out from behind the bar. I'm like, well, Andy, uh, let me tell you this. And he like, he was even like startled. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, and I did like a few minutes on the show and they left it in. 
That's right, they did. <laughs> so, 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 just pulling the trigger as Andy Cohen. Broadway. Um, Broadway was um, realizing that uh, that that all these things that you look at as so prestigious are are really all just the same in the end. You know, I always thought like when you do the Broadway show, like the audience will be a lot tougher and like, you know, it's going to be, it's so different. And we're on opening night of Broadway. Like I, I, I walked out to open the show. I, I was opening the show at the time and it was like opening night and everyone told me they're like, yeah, like the New York times is out there. And like, you know, like every, and I'm just like, Oh my God, like I'm going to, Oh, it was like that terrible feeling. And I walked out there and I told the first joke and it got like the same laugh that it gets in Iowa you know, the same laugh that it gets in Florida. And, and I was like, oh, and I just like started doing the show. And it was, it was literally a normal show. It was a completely normal show. And uh, at the end of the show, I was like, everyone's like, wow, how does it feel to do Broadway? And it was like, well, it felt like any other show actually. So it was just like these things that you always view as this thing, you, you get there and you do it. And it's like, okay. It reminds me of like, you know, Lucy K talked about doing Carnegie Hall, how like, you, know, you always think it's gonna be some giant thing and they're like no like we can rent carnegie hall if you want it's more expensive than the other venues but we can do it <laughs> and you're like okay i guess i'm doing carnegie hall joan <laughs> <laughs> mm, rivers joan rivers was uh um uh a time to uh, when i met my hero and it was as good if not better than i expected um i got to do her show some some reality show she had at the time I met her and she was so kind and she teed me up so nice on the show and she, you know, like really went out of her way to give me good sound bites even on the show, you know, like, like, you know, like, wow, Adam, you are so like, like just saying things that I knew she was smart enough. She was, she was, she was making my demo reel at the time, you know, and she was smart enough and kind enough to do that. Um, and then after the filming, she was just so sweet and so nice and, um, then the camera turned on and she was this raging, you know, like, ah, you know, uh, but she was so sweet and so kind and it was like, and then she passed away shortly after and I was so glad I got to meet her and, um, know that you can be a giant and, uh, and still be extremely kind. Penn and Teller. Um, look, Penn and Teller, some of those people, I watch them and I go, man, I'll never be that good, you know? And when I hear Penn talk, it's like you could take any line from a sentence that Penn Gillette says and, and frame it on a wall as a quote. He's so well-spoken. And, um, you know, on, on the little shows I did where, where they would kind of judge the magic, you know, whether it's uh, Penn and Teller Fool Us or the show called Wizard Wars, as they speak about it, they were so kind and so gracious and they built you up so well while still giving feedback and still giving criticism and, and, and being constructive about it. Um, and you know, just the, the kindness and the, the, the brilliance of, of those guys, uh, is something that, um, you know, I'll, I wish I could be as well-spoken as Penn and I wish my words could carry, I, I wish they could be as poignant and, and carry the weight that, that, that they do with Penn. The, the, those guys are just, they're, they're next level. Like I was saying, they're, they're next level. Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer. Um, well, God, it's so strange talking about Matt Lauer now in, in, in the wake of all <laughs> of all the stuff that happened. But Matt Lauer was the guy who gave me the shot and put me on the Today Show. Uh, Matt Lauer came to see the Broadway show and I, I saw him in the audience. I recognized him and I pulled him on or I pulled his son on stage and did a trick for the son and went out intermission and met him and um, and uh, pitched an idea of, of going 
and doing a trick on the Today Show. And that, and then sure enough, two days later, he had me on the Today Show to do the trick. And um, and then I went back on the Today Show like a couple months later again. And Matt like came out uh, from 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 his office and came over and said hi and remember my name. I was like, hey Adam, how are you? How's everything? And and I was like, wow, like you know, like like this is. He was so kind to me. He was so. He was so, uh, he was, it was, it was like, you know, I could, it, it, it was, he was so friendly and, and, and uh, the fact that he remembered my name and made me feel like for that moment, like, like that, that I was somebody and that, that he was actually happy that I was on the show. It was so cool. And, you know, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful, uh, for that. Ellen DeGeneres. Um, Ellen, uh. I think prime time is what I think with Ellen. I think, I think game time. I think, you know, uh, when I went on Ellen, that was like the biggest boost in my career. I'd say up to this point, I'd say that was one of the biggest moments. David Copperfield, uh, changed my life. He is, uh, you know, the reason why I started doing this. And to this day, uh, every time I go see David Copperfield's show, I get nervous watching it. You know, like I, you know, he, I, I got, I, I, you know, if I see him after the show and get to take a photo with him, I'm starstruck. I'm completely, the first time I met David Copperfield, I was like emotional. I was almost crying. I was like, oh my God, you changed my life. Oh. You know, I, I was, it, it just the impact that guy's had on me um, and how good he's been and how hard he still works and how he has a work ethic beyond anything I could ever have. And um, he's changed magic for sure. He's changed entertainment for sure and certainly changed my life. Rachel Ray. Um, I view, uh, I think Rachel Ray, and I think about going on her show and winging it. <laughs> I think about going on and doing tricks that are not ready to be done on television and somehow they work. And, and she's, and she, once again, like Ellen made the bits better, you know, because I, I, I wasn't over rehearsed. I went in there with an idea for something for a, a gingerbread cookie trick. And other than that, I, her and I were doing it. And she was making it better. And, and you know, what, doing those shows with a live studio audience are so exhilarating when you go on the live studio audience is there. And, and I just think fun and, and, and risky. The other side of America's Got Talent. What do you mean? Your experience. I view America's Got Talent as uh, the, the exotic tiger that you want the photo with. <laughs> but it can bite your head off <laughs> in, in a second. Um, you know, uh, that's something that I don't have the guts for. I don't, I don't have the guts for anymore. I, 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 I admire the people that go on and do that now because I look at it and I'm like, man, ooh, just lie. I mean, yeah, it's live television, but there's something about being judged after you perform that is just, it's so out of your control. And it's something I don't have the, uh, I don't think I have the skin for anymore. Your proudest moment in show business. <laughs> proudest moment in show business. Probably, um, probably selling that TV series uh, with you. Um, and, and maybe seeing it done. I, I'd say seeing it finished. You know, uh, I, did, I never felt like it was real until I actually saw it. You know, like, you know, it was my first time doing anything like this. And I guess a lot of it was begin beginner's luck, you know, in the sense of, you know, like the odds of, of, of the first show that, that I take out selling straight to series. Um, and even when I'm filming this thing, I'm like, is anyone ever going to see this thing? Like, like, what am I doing with this? 
So when, when I finally did that and I saw the cuts of that and it got aired and then when it, when Netflix picked it up, it was like, Oh my God, I have a show on Netflix right now. And I remember watching an episode on Netflix and being like, wow, this is so cool that or, um, doing the Ellen show, uh, was probably the most rattling experience of my life when I got the call for Ellen to go do Ellen and, uh, just walking out on that stage uh, to do Ellen was so surreal. That was one of my favorite things to be backstage with you. It was so crazy. It was one of those things where like, uh, I'd been pitching Ellen for years and all of a sudden I did a local TV thing here in LA <laughs> and I guess they watched it and they called the same day and had me on the next week. And I went on and, um, it was like an outer body experience, you know, like I, it was one of those things where like, thank God I'd done those tricks enough to where, I was on autopilot mode. I was just going through it and you know, like I, I wasn't present in my body for that moment. I just let go and my mouth was saying words that it had said before, but I wasn't actively. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Now, what shocked me about that show, you did a trick that you had just worked on with an inventor. Yeah. I don't want to go into the trick. People sure. can YouTube it. But what I was getting anxious about, <laughs> and I'm never anxious, <laughs> is that there was a mechanism to the trick that Adam kept doing over and over again in the dressing room that required an action from a machine, a little machine. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself like, all right, it works. Let's stop fiddling with this thing. <laughs> But you kept doing it. It had to be 25 times in a row. And I'm thinking every time he does it, there's a chance that he's using the last battery or the last thing. And I was it's trying to get all the bad out. ones out of the way. <laughs> you know, look, it, it, that was one of those things where like throughout my entire career, as you know, I've always been one to just take a swing at stuff and do stuff before I was ready. Like, I don't think a single gig in my life I've done when I was fully prepared, you know, like, like. You know, I wasn't ready to do a theater. Sh I wasn't ready just to, to do a school assembly for, 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 for 50 minutes when I first did it. You know, I wasn't ready to do Broadway when I, for, you know, I certainly wasn't ready to do Ellen and certainly was not ready to do that, that trick on Ellen. Um, but it was one of these things where, uh, you know, like once, 
once I pitched it to them and they're like, yeah, let's do that. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, boy, like this thing sounds great on paper, but now I got to like bring this thing to life and actually make this thing happen. And, um, you know, like even even that, that, that like I did that iPhone blender trick on Ellen and I, I did it before that on the Today Show. And when I pitched that, that I came up with that routine for the Today Show. Uh, well, I'd been doing something similar to it for a while, but but that version of it I'd only done for the first time on the Today Show. And so the first time first you time. ever did it live on the Today Show. So Ellen and this, yeah. you did it for the first time first, ever. Very foolish. Yeah. Don't you think there's something wrong with that? Terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> terrible idea. Why that, would you do that? Because I don't know. I, I've, I guess some people jump out of airplanes. Some people, <laughs> but for me, I do stuff on TV for the first time. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't What's know. What's so strange to understand, Adam, is when you talk about your tours yeah. and how you travel and how you're studying the plane and it's, the it's thing and yeah. the, the money and this and that and just the details and how you can figure out this and that. that you spend hours and hours and hours and then you do the biggest shows of your life that are going there's more people <laughs> watching you on Ellen. Now right. I want to share this that I with you. Ever reach that you'd reached from birthday party number one through cruise ship through the theaters to colleges to illusionist everything. More people yep. in that one show than everybody you've ever reached in your life by probably a million times. Right. And you decide to do something on a Today Show and Ellen for the first time. Yeah. What's I mean, the mentality behind that? The mentality was is that I pitched them a great idea and they went for it and I had to do it. <laughs> so the choice was made for me. But the mentality of being willing to do it was like I got it to a place where I knew the trick would work. I, I, I thought I knew the trick would work. I, I knew what I was going to say. And other than that, I wanted just to, to kind of go on and have, I wanted to have a, an organic, fresh, non-rehearsed appearance where I'm actually just talking to Ellen as a human, or I'm actually talking to Matt Lauer or whoever as, as a human and not like, you know, like, like, like I, I always saw, saw theater people go do things on TV. Like, like whenever they have like, you know, the cast of whoever doing a performance on TV, I always thought it was not great because it seems so rehearsed and it seems so like, you know, like we're giving lines right now. I never wanted that. I always thought it was cool when the comedians came on and they sat on the couch and they were funny in conversation, not when they were just funny doing the bits, you know? So I wanted this similar thing to happen with magic where I didn't want it to be so rehearsed. It's like, this is straight out of my live show and don't say a funny line here, Ellen, cause I'll steamroll you. Like, 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 like I'll, I'll just keep doing what I was going to say anyways. I wanted her to interject and have funny moments. And that, you know, if you watch the clip, like that's what happens. Like she made the bits better than they were, you know, because I allowed room for her to, to do things that I could have never thought of or written for her. You know, she got to be Ellen. She got to be why we love Ellen. And I got to be, you know, it, it, it was, it got to become like a collaboration rather than me just coming on and be like, here's my trick, Ellen, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Thank you. Good night. You know, I was like, no, Hey Ellen, we're going to do this trick and, um, you know, hold on to this knife and, uh, let's do this trick. And, um, I guess it was trusting myself enough to know that if, if I knew the trick would work and I had a feeling for what I was going to do, I could trust myself enough to go in there and know that I could make it a hit. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Biggest disappointment in show business. Oh boy. 
Mm. Um, probably leaving cruise ships. Uh, you know, I, uh, I left cruise ships, uh, you know, for several reasons. Um, many of them, my own reasons, some of them, because I was just having too much fun on cruise ships. Uh, <laughs> um, and I remember, uh, there was one moment where I, uh, had partied so hard on a cruise ship that, uh, <laughs> I, I, I threw a party on a cruise ship and I basically got kicked off the cruise ship the next day. And at the time I thought it was the end of the world because I had, you know, cruise ships were my bread and butter. It made up 99.9% .9 of all my income. And, and, uh, I was probably 25 or four years old at the time. Not to the point where like I was stable enough to where like, you know, I, like I was not diversified. Like if the cruise ship got taken away, I was going to be an accountant, you know, and the cruise ship got taken away for a moment. They ended up having me back later. But, but the point was that at the time I thought it was over at cruise ships and, uh, I was like, I need to find something else right away. And I came back and for about six months I had no work and I, I used that to get new photos, new video, new tricks, new marketing strategies, new business plan, enter a new market, the college market, enter a new market, the theater market, you know, work on social media, work on trying to figure out a way to get on television again. You know, like all these things that I would have never had a chance to do, um, had cruise ships not, not, uh, threatened to fire me. There's a darkness in magic. Mm -hmm. There's a darkness with performers. I've been around so many magicians throughout my life. And to me, I feel they have the darkest energy. When I say darkness, there's people who walk into a room. You just, it's, mm. and then there's people who walk in a room and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Or they just present themselves in a way that even if the hair on the back of your neck doesn't stand up, it's just there's something there's a bigger force at play. If they had an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, the devil would dominate. When I first met you, you have this thing where you, even though you are the darkness from the waist down or the chest down or the neck down, from the neck up, you're the light. You always present yourself as the light. You always have this thing where there's this huggability and lovability about you. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of darkness inside you and a lot of things that shaped you to be this driven person. And when you were growing up, there had to be stuff that happened. So I, what I wanted you to talk about, it's kind of two-part, is what happened to you that you can tell our audience about that created the darkness that drives you and that has that conflict inside you all the time that's battling these forces inside you. And then how do you navigate in shows where you're traveling with seven people, six magicians? Look, I was at the Illusionist taping of the special for NBC the negative energy coming forth from some of the people on those shows is mind-boggling, shocking, and 
just soul shattering. <laughs> oh no. So, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. So what was your cross to bear that made you the way you are? What happened? And what is it about all these people where it seems like a lot of them are broken? So the darkness, I guess if you want to call it, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's just been this, I've always felt like I'm not good enough. Like, like, like no matter what I'm doing, I, I never feel like it's, it's any good. Like every time people stand up at the end of a show, I'm like, man, like you guys actually like that. And every time someone buys a show or buys a TV series, I'm like, wow, like you guys actually, you know, like I've, I've just always had this feeling that like it's, I'm not good enough. But do you know where that came from? I know you love your parents. Sure. But were they the kind of people, my ex-wife, when she did stand-up, she used to have this joke about her Russian parents. Right. She used to say she'd come home with a paper. She's like, look, mom, dad, I got a 98 on my paper. And her dad would say, what happened to the other two? <laughs> it was a, a little bit of that. I mean, like, like, I think it was just this expectation that like my dad was so entrepreneurial and I saw how hard my dad worked all the time. And just, you know, I was the only son and I just had this expect, I, 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 and not that he ever made me feel this way because, you know, I have the most loving parents ever, but I just always wanted to impress my parents. You know, I wanted my dad to like, like I'm, I, I don't come from, from an artsy family at all. I come from the least artsy family in the history of the world. You know, there's not an artsy bone in, 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 in the body, in, in my dad's body. But I, you know, I had a very good business mind for math and everything, and, and, and I was very, very smart in school and whatnot. And I think my dad always just assumed that I would, you know, go into finance or go into accounting or whatnot and, and, and do this business thing. And so I had this, I just knew that if I was going to go this, this entertainment route that I needed to be at least as successful with this as I would have if I went into finance. But because how does that translate into I'm not good enough? This sucks. That why are they standing? I can't believe I sold the show. I don't know to be honest. I guess because at the end of the day, I'm still an audience member when I see everyone else. So when I see someone else perform, they always just seem to have it so together. You know, there's people I look at where they, oh my god, they have it so together, and they're and they're, and they're they're just so on top of it. They're so brilliant, and they just have all the answers. And I look at it from that you know, I look at it from an audience perspective and, and I know that myself, you know, even if people look at that the same way of like, wow, he's, he's got all the answers to this thing. Like deep down, I know that like, I am just like, Oh boy. Like I, I, I just hope I'm hoping to make it through each, each show, you know, like, and, um, it's, uh, I don't know why I feel that way. I guess, I guess because I know how much I'm winging it <laughs> in my shows. And I just always wonder if the audience knows how much I'm winging it. And I guess they don't. But, you know, like every single show, I'm, I'm still winging it every single show. Um, even on my most prepared shows, I'm like, there, there's a lot of stuff that can go off the rails here. And so the artists, most magicians, I'm not making this shit up. So why do you think so many of them are so broken? I don't, I don't know. Um... I mean, look, it's certainly a, a generalization that we're, that <laughs> certainly, you know, because there's, there's so many amazing people. I, let's just look at it this way. We walk outside, we run into 10 people randomly. We 
run around magic circles. We run into 10 magicians. Okay. Mm -hmm. Randomly. Are you trying to tell me it's the same energy? No, 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 it's definitely no. Look, there's a certain, maybe, I mean, we all get into magic for, for, for different reasons. I mean, there's so many reasons that a kid can get into magic. It, it can be, you know, like for me, it was overcompensating of, 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 I want to have something cool. I want to be cool. And magic was like a thing that like could make you cool. Um, you know, so there's certain people that are, that are drawn to magic and, 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 and magic is a thing that requires lots of practice. And, you know, like there were times I sat in my basement practicing magic instead of going out and being social. So I think that, you know, like for me, I know it, it certainly had impacts on certain things. You know, I, I, I have, an amazing family that, that is so bright, you know, and, and, and my mom and dad are so cheery all the time that like, for me, I've never really become an introvert or anything as a result of it. But, um, I don't know, you know, I mean, it could be, it could not just be magic. It could be entertainment overall. I mean, right. I mean, the same could probably be said about some comedians or about musicians as well Is that, you know, it's just, uh, you, you kind of become quirky doing this, uh, doing this whole industry. Uh, it can make you really quirky. Tell me who blows you away and when you watch them, you say to yourself, I know I'm great at what I do, but I'll never be as great as that guy. So many people, uh, David Copperfield, uh, Penn and Teller, um, so many music artists I look at, I'm just like, man, they're so good. So, so many comedians. Like I watched Jim Jeffries. I even listened to like your podcast with Jim Jeffries. I'm like, I'm like, how is this you, guy? You listen? So, huh? You listen to the I podcast? listen to all your podcasts. You do? Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. I never knew uh, that. Of course. Uh, it's the closest thing to hanging out with you is listening to a Barry <laughs> Katz podcast. If you can't hang out with Barry, you just got to listen to his podcast because it's something I told you, Lee Jacobs and I talk about this, how the best part of any day is, is, is when you just sit on the couch with Barry and he just starts asking you weird questions. It's the best part of any day. It's just the absolute best. So yeah, of course I listen, but you know, like I listen to these comedians and I'm just like, man, they're so brilliant and they're so sharp and they're so original. And kind of what you're saying before is like, you know, it's something that like uh, is not as common in magic where um, just they're, they're so good and they're so smart. And I look at that. And I'm like, I will never be as good at anything as these guys are at comedy or as these guys are at music. You know, like the best thing in the world I'm ever good at. Maybe it's magic. I will never be close to as good as these guys. You know, it's just so daunting where I watch it. I'm, I just... I'm in a whole different level, meaning many levels below. And, and, and I see that and I'm just, you know, uh, it scares me and inspires me and, uh, but more so scares me just how good some people are at this stuff and, and how I feel like I'm not. Last question. What advice do you have for the young eight year old who sees his father from 1am to 3am in a business suit? And has a very kind of uniquely loving but very different household growing up and and somehow has a dream to do something and how do they make it happen and have the amazing, extraordinary, unique kind of career that you've had? I guess you, you got to stay naive and just be willing to, to take a swing at stuff. You know, like my, my roommate uh, many years ago, David, the magician, uh, he always talked about the stuff that he learned from, from like, from, from just watching me do stuff where he's like, you can't just do that. 
And I'm like, well, I, I know I just did it. Like you can't just make a sizzle on your camera and edit it together and go in and show it to networks. Like you can't just rent out a middle school theater and do a show. You can't just like film a dance recital with you doing a magic trick and call it a production show and sell it to a cruise. Like you can't just you know, like, but you can, you can do these things. And it was, and it was me being naive of like, of just being like, well, I need, I need a show that looks big. So I need dancers and I need a theater or I need a sizzle. So that looks like I travel the country. So let's shoot, shoot in the back alley and let's write New Mexico on the bottom with some text uh, with a little Chiron, you know, uh, it's stuff like that, that like my whole career, I've been very naive and foolish to just like, just do something and kind of break the rules with it. And it was the same thing that like, it's the reason that like Simon and I clicked from the illusionist was that he was a similar way of like, like you can't just be a fiddle player who then makes a magic show and you know nothing about magic. Like you can't produce the world's biggest magic show if you're not, you don't have a background of magic. Well, of course you can, you know, you just do it. And um, that was kind of the thing that I guess that's been like my, my recipe to success is that I, I just kind of do things. And, um, and uh, not to say that they're, that most of them don't fail because they do, of course, but there's like once in a while that like you get a phone call for something and you happen to have that piece of tape from that one experimental thing you did two years ago that you dust off and you mail it over the same day and, and that's what gets you on Ellen or whatever, you know? Um, so I guess just to stay naive and stay foolish and take a swing at things and from perform, performing standpoint, like get it up on stage as quick as possible and perform in the worst situations possible, uh, perform in the cafeterias and the, and the birthday parties and all these things and do street performing, go out and perform in Santa Monica Pier on a folding chair uh, because you'll learn all these things that you would have never learned before and it'll, and it'll make you bulletproof it'll, and you got to be bulletproof, right? And then you got to be extremely optimistic and then find someone like Barry who, who encourages you and believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And, um, you know, I think that's actually a big thing. You know, I think like, like when I, like, like, like the thing that you did when I worked with you was that you, you changed the way I think about things. You change, you shaped the way that I think about entertainment and you know, like it was your stories about, you know, the guys on SNL where, you know, like, look, there's lots of guys on SNL, only a couple become movie stars. You know, why, why is Will Ferrell a movie star and someone else isn't, you know, um, it was hearing these stories of, of, you know, how people get to get to the next level and how people, turn no's into yeses and I'm, I'm stealing all your lines. Uh, but it was all those things that, that, you know, really did have a huge impact on me and they really do inspire you to when you're sitting around on the Sunday afternoon and you're like, you know what, I'm going to edit this thing right now. I'm going to make a, I'm going to, I'm going to do this right now. And, um, finding that encouragement, whether it be through a manager or a podcast or a family or friends or whatever it is, just stay hungry, stay tenacious and stay foolish. Adam Trent, this has been so great, so amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on here. I'm the smallest name to ever do this podcast. <laughs> that is untrue and unfounded. You are the creator, writer, executive producer, have the company title card on a magic show on Netflix. Tell me how many magic shows there are on Netflix, Adam. I don't know. Not a lot. No, there aren't. <laughs> Tell me how many magicians have television series, Adam. A few. That's right. How many magicians are there in the world? Uh, don't know. 
thousands and thousands. <laughs> Thank you for always being humble and always thinking that it's always going to go away because sadly, sometimes I think the same way. <laughs> I loved having you here. I love you, brother. Thank Thanks you. so much, man. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message and one of these people will be a lucky winner and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions or else if they're out of town, out of state or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Cool PR Maven, May 15, 2019. Heading reads, every episode's a winner, five stars. The comment reads, Barry has a sense of curiosity that benefits the listener. He drills deep and unearths insights, info, and perspective not found elsewhere. Plus, he clearly has a vast Rolodex because his guests run deep, from headliners to producers and more. My faves are his interviews with comedians, and when I die, I want Barry to write my obituary because his introductions put federal dossiers to shame. Pick an interview with someone you admire, and it will be the best podcast listening experience ever. Wow. Thank you so much, cool PR maven. You are a winner. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Tyrone Jackson. Every business must have multiple revenue streams. So that if everybody in this business left tomorrow, it would still make money because there's streams connected to this business. So I learned from commercials that everything I do is about residual income. If something happened to me, the business is still making money. If something happened to my main employee, the business is still making money. So that I just add on essentially streams to the business. To a lot of people, that sounds really magical. Like, oh, time around. It's just a, so success, which I learned along the way is a series of positive habits. And if you duplicate those habits over and over, you're going to get extraordinary results. 
Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, till it all feels the same. Pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.